Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash Internet for details. My debut for England and the, my boot sponsor Adidas at the time had sent me the boots you have to wear. And then I got a call from David Moyes to say, Congratulations, don't bring them boots back because they were red. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that will be the decision behind Kevin De Bruyne. If, if he decides to leave, it'll be like, Well, who's the most capable team of winning the Champions League whilst Man City uh, are not in there? Yeah, yeah, I played well. We won. It was, nothing else was going to happen. Like, if he was man of the match, we won the game. And, and that's what special players do. Growing up with other managers, managers always say, you can't turn it on and off like a light. You can. If you're that good, <laughs> if you're that good you can turn it on and off. This is what I'm saying, man. Stan, mm. like, and, and I won't expose him, but, like, he forgets he was at Villa when my brother was at Villa. My brother was an apprentice. So I know ridiculous stories about him. What, that one? Nah. <laughs> Hello, listeners, and welcome back to yet again another episode of the Beautiful Game podcast. As ever, I'm your host, Budge, joined by my faithful two co-conspirators, Dot and Dej. Boys, how are we doing? I'm very well, Budge. How are you, bro? Yeah, man, not too bad. Keeping busy as, as, as ever. Uh, honestly, now the weeks are just flying by, man. Literally. So I, I, I've lost track of the, the, the day, the, the day, 
how, how long we've been on this lockdown for. It's, it's just all one big blur at the moment, man. How about you, Dej? How, how you doing? Yeah, I'm good, bro. Um, as you can see, we've got a penchant for top centre-back talent <laughs> on this podcast, you know. We've yeah. had Rio Ferdinand, we've had Ledley King, Sylvan Distan, and obviously, Borg, I know you want to do the intro as well. Of course, 100%. <laughs> we're, uh, we're a bit like uh, Thanos with the, uh, with, uh, with, you know, from the Avengers, you know. Centre-back unions. Centre-back unions. But of course, um, as you alluded to, Dej, we've got a very, very special guest uh, who, who's joining us um, at the moment. Uh, this gentleman had a career which spanned almost t- uh, two decades at the, the top level with over 500 caps combined for Wolves, for Everton, West Brom, Aston Villa and Man City, where, of course, he won two league titles and an FA Cup. And I'm, I'm sure we can all remember. I, I don't think we can ever forget. Aguero! <laughs> okay, I mean, in terms of a Premier League finish, I don't think we're, we're, we're ever going to see a better mm. final day than that. And of course, we're going we're, we're gonna to talk about that in, in a little while. Of course, he's also been capped 26 times by, by England. He's a, a fashion icon, uh, as you can see him like sporting the the the, the, the hat there, um, and also a, a, nah, that's a, the quarantine head. That's the quarantine <laughs> head. Come on, man! Gotta hide that hair. <laughs> I know you men would have had hats on if this was going like a video as well. <laughs> so yeah, of course, you know we're going to chat a bit about you know fashion uh, in in the course of the interview too, and of course he's a fan of uh, flashy cars. Matt Gray ones to be precise. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> you know, we're going to get things cracking. We're going to get things started. Without further ado, we welcome Jolion Lescott to the platform. Welcome, 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 welcome Jolion. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you for, for taking time out. Um, just to kick things off, um, I know Bush spoke about the Agrero moment, but we're going to hold that for now. Um, Obviously, you've been a professional footballer previously for a very long time. You had, you know, a very illustrious career. But you've, you've got a new role at Manchester City, and we're going to go into that. But what I want to ask you is, obviously, you worked with David Moyes. Um, you worked with Remy Gard and Tim Sherwood, um, Roberto Mancini, and so many other managers. But since you've joined, you know, Man City as someone behind the scenes, has your view of the game changed because you've worked with Chixi Berestein, um, Seriano, um, Pep Guardiola, one of his right-hand men, Rodolfo Burrell. So do you view football differently now that you've worked with these kind of people? Well, not necessarily, no. Um, I, I tend to think I had a decent IQ of football um, and my kind of take on it is, is still similar to what it was when I played. Um, obviously, it's it's broadened due to the people, the names that you've just mentioned. Um, but I was lucky enough to work with um, Glenn Huddle at such an early age at Wolves, and I still I've said it every time someone asked me, he was the best coach manager I worked under. Um, he helped me understand the game in the purest and simplest format. Um, he said something, and I don't know if it was if it was me or everyone, I, I just understood it. I just was able to kind of say, yeah, that makes sense. And I know before you explain why you want us to do that or me to do that, I know that's the best thing to do kind of thing. So I've been lucky enough to work with some, some top, top managers and um, 
yeah, obviously at the moment with Pep and stuff like that, I, I, yeah, I would enjoy to pick his brains, but he's got so much on, I wouldn't even entertain that conversation. Yeah, so you know the nuts and bolts of your role. What does it include? So on a day-to-day, um, what does your job you know, description specify? Um, mainly I work with players that are... Uh, it's mainly position-specific, so defenders. Um, but there are a couple of players that play in attacking, attacking roles that I have good relationships with. So that's the reason for me to work with them. But mainly I work with defenders and help them understand the games and, and the choices they make in the games. Because again, if they've come for our academy, the way they've played and, and been educated on football is not real life. It's not for every team, as you can imagine. City's academy and the top academies in the country and in the world, it's not the way that it's played in the other leagues and other teams. So they have to kind of be aware to that. And they, are, they all learn so fast. And, and that's the key thing is, not to go there and show what you've learned at Man City. It's to go there and see what you can learn, what you've learned from their coaches and their managers and say, well, how fast can you take instructions and then implement them into your game? Because if you go there with the mindset of, well, I've, I do this at City, we taught this at City. And say, for instance, that's say a Pep philosophy. If Pep was to leave when you get into the first team, what are you going to say to the new manager? Well, Pep told me this. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to do that. No, you have to be able to adapt and learn different ways and different styles of, uh, of, of play. Fair, fair play. And, and Jolien, I wanted to ask, um, you know, since you've, um, you've hung up the boots, the, the tables have turned a little bit and now you're, you're turning tables. See what I did there? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. As an, uh, uh, an aspiring DJ. So how, how did that come about? Has it always been something that has been, has been an interest of yours? And how do you balance that with the work that you're doing with, with City at the moment as well? Yeah, that's always been an interest. My dad is a DJ, so growing up, I've, I've been there and carried the crates um, of records when it used to be vinyls and stuff. So I've, I've done that. But then cool. mm. I was probably 16, 16 to 18 when I was, last year, couple of years at my mum's, we had, I had decks in my room, again, turntables, vinyls, um, and just learned there with some friends. We had a little group called the Trio. <laughs> <laughs> the little chocolate bar, the Trio. That was <laughs> so we had that, and then um, obviously, so I just learned how to how to DJ. Then they were MCs. Uh, I I wasn't confident enough to get on the mic, so that wasn't happening. <laughs> and then, uh, so obviously, then left, and obviously, then started playing first team football. Um, so kind of just went on the back burner didn't take it as serious as I should have because I said it, I wasn't trying to play it in the clubs and nothing like that I, was just, mm-hmm. I just enjoyed to do it still do and then the last few years of my career I realised that I wanted nothing's going to replace playing nothing I don't, mm-hmm. whatever I do now in life will never I won't enjoy as much uh, as playing the game so I just wanted something that I can enjoy and really want to get into and Again, when the last couple of years of my career, when the opportunities were coming, obviously I had a bigger profile to kind of go out and play in clubs and, and bars. It, it, it was good. And then I realised, well, I can't really be out every week. I've got a family, I've got kids and that. So I need to be up Sunday mornings for the kids' football. Uh, but also, if I'm saying to the wife, I'm, I'm going out every week to, to DJ, that's not happening. So I, I do it regularly enough to, for it to, for store to enjoy it, but it's never going to be like my only career path. Mm. 
it's been made um, public knowledge that Pep Guardiola won't stay at Man City forever. We know, you know, there's been a big um, push to, you know, build the academy and pump a lot of money into the football club. So what are the club doing behind the scenes to prepare for Pep Guardiola's departure? Oof, that's a, that's a big question. I, I'm not sure. Um, I, I can only speak on what they were doing to prepare for when he arrived. And I was there and, I, and we kind of was always aware of that. Not even, it was probably public knowledge, but there was things put in place before he arrived. So I'm assuming they're having the same methodology now. They're putting things in place for the person they view um, to come in and kind of take over the mental. It's not going to be easy um, when that happens for anyone. I think it's going to have a similar effect of, not in terms of the, the lack of trophies in, in the greatest respect that Sir Alex did to uh, Man United. I think if you're a City fan now, obviously they've gone through a period where it was Mancini and Pellegrini and they were winning, winning trophies. Then Pep comes in, continues to win, but wins in this ridiculous style of play. So the next manager coming is going to have to bring something totally... Winning's not going to be enough. And yeah. even winning in style might not be enough. So it's, it's kind of... It's going to be difficult for the, for the person um, to take over. But I'm sure they've got someone in mind uh, with a view to, to kind of... That, that would be ready to take that role. Yeah, so obviously City have been hit with this um, ban in Europe. And we've seen the fallout. We've seen, you know, it turned very ugly at times. Um, Kevin De Bruyne has recently come out and said if this ban is to be upheld he's not looking to stay around and basically waste his prime years do you understand that and do you think Kevin De Bruyne will stay if the ban still gets upheld it's hard to say if he if he'll stay um, only he knows um, but I, I totally understand what he's saying because that was kind of my thought process when I was at Everton Everton was, was good to me. I enjoyed it there. But then I thought, in my prime years, optimal years of, of playing, how realistic is it for Everton to challenge for the title to it is for Man City to challenge for the title? And that was the decision made in the thought process behind me leaving and joining, obviously, Man City to kind of challenge for them titles. So I'm sure that will be the decision behind Kevin De Bruyne. If, if he decides to leave, it will be like, well, who's the most capable team of winning the Champions League whilst Man City uh, are not in there. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Hopefully neither of them things happen. Um, obviously they're going to try and fight the corner. They believe they were right in what they were doing. Um, so hopefully there's, there's some, some common ground and they can reach an agreement. Feeling within the Man City camp, are you happy for Project Restart? Um, again, I haven't spoke to the players. I wouldn't know. Um, but... I, I totally understand why there would be concerns. Like, and as players, yeah, you, you kind of, you're able to get on with things, but when it involves family, that's when you kind of be like, now nah, there, there's a line drawn there. And I think it's ridiculous how, what is it? Man, Han Matt Hancock can call yeah. out Premier yeah. League players to say they need to take a pay cut. And then a few weeks later, someone else is asking them to, to, to kickstart or restart football just for the morale of the nation. I'm like, yeah, it's embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> so you want them to do that for the nation and then also do that for the nation, but no one's saying to them like kind of anything else. It, it, it's ridiculous how that can even be a thing. But yeah, I, I understand all the concerns um, and it will continue as obviously if it's, it's only going to take one player to get infected and then 
it's going to be kind of disastrous, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, Jolian, I, I had a bit of, um, I guess it's, it's, it's almost like a three-part question, um, <laughs> but I'll try and summarise as, as, as quickly as I can. So the first question I want to ask is um, about a certain Jaden Sancho. So obviously you were um, at the club when he was coming through the youth ranks. And the sort of the first part of the question was, um, you know, did, did you see early on that, you know, he had the, the ingredients to, to, to be a top player and, 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 you know, reach the heights that he has already reached and, and, and you know, can reach it in, in, in future. Um, the second part of that question is, what, are the, what have the club um, done since his departure in terms of making sure that a similar situation doesn't happen in, in future, whereby top talent coming through the academy goes off elsewhere before get, getting a chance in the first team. And is, is there a worry and a concern around Phil Foden um, and, and his future at the club if he's not getting regular uh, first team? Uh, okay. Time? So we'll go back. So the first part, yeah, you could see, I think you could see uh, Jaden's talent at like 12, 13 before his arrival. I think everybody knew he had the, the ability uh, but then obviously I was there, I think he was 15. And this is when I realised how good he could be or was or was at the time. He wasn't even training with the 23s because he was still in school. So he only could train the day before a game for the 20, And then he would play in the games and obviously be one of the best players at 15. I'm like, well, if you're able to do that at 15, when you're training every day and then your body obviously fills out and you understand a bit more kind of what you can and can't do as you just get experience, it's going to be, it's going to be someone to stop you. But then he had the, the kind of understanding and the know-how to kind of say, I need more. And I've spoke to people that are in the academy and I think that was the regret is that they didn't probably push him hard enough um, at, he was probably ready to go on loan at 15. But wow. to do that, wow. then that would look like, you'd be shaking your head now about that. It sounds strange, doesn't it? But yeah. I think if you push him that f fast, that far, that early, but it wouldn't have been early for him. He would have been able to cope with that demand because he was that good. Um, but you, you just kind of need to understand what that looks like are the decisions he makes are the bad decision he makes because he's frustrated that he's not challenged enough or are they bad decisions but for him mm -hmm. he was at a level where yeah I can I can kick on and he believed that and, and he proved that obviously what within 12 months later going to Dortmund um, in terms of the academy doing that so or preventing that from happening again I very much doubt in the next so many years there'll be a player of that level in the greatest respect to all the, the players coming through of that level to be valued at, what, 100 million yeah. by the time he's 19. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a big ask. It's a big ask for any individual. And in order to do that, you're going to have to play. And what I would then say to, to people, even the, to answer the Phil Foden issue, at this moment in time, Man City sign, what, the top three to five best players in the world at their position? So now we're asking our academy players to come out of the academy having never played to be in the top five best in the world in their <laughs> position. Yeah. Like, how unrealistic is that to ask? And again, obviously it's easy now because Jaden's played 
first team minutes and you're able to say, yeah, he's probably that. At the time, we had Raheem Sterling and Lee Wasane. Like, they wasn't, they wasn't underperforming. They were still doing their thing. So oh, it's going to be yeah. difficult. You know what I mean? So the Phil Foden <coughs> one, um, it, it's different to Jaden because Jaden wants to play. Jaden wanted to play. I'm getting the impression he wanted to play first team and football. But Phil wants to do that, but he wants to do that for Man City. Like, he's a Man City fan, so it, mm. it means different for him. I think if, if that's Jade and that, his club that he grew up loving and stuff like that, then the decision to leave probably wouldn't have been so easy for him. You know what I mean? So the Phil Foden one, I don't think he's in a rush to leave. I don't think they'll miss out on an opportunity for him. And like I said, should, he, should Phil Foden now, and, my, and your reaction will tell me the answer, should Phil Foden play ahead of David Silva? <laughs> at, this, like, at this point in time, yeah, it's I a difficult think, yeah. one. I think yeah. David Silva's mm. minutes are being managed now. Obviously, he's mm. in the swan song of his career. I believe Phil Foden deserves much more opportunities than he's been given. Pep's come out to the press and said, you know, he should be valued at 500 million. So why isn't he playing then? Man, you know? see, I'm not that. playing for anything this season as well. It's, it's done. Liverpool yeah, I'll hold that. and it's hard. Who's, who's to say that wouldn't have happened? in the league now uh, you know what I mean like Champions League obviously a little bit different a little bit more pressure but arguably the biggest game of last season the Spurs home game league he played you know what I mean so it, it obviously does kind of he can rely on him he does trust him uh, in terms of more minutes I, I honestly believe if it was a year earlier they may not have bought Bernardo Silva because I just think the timing of it, and, and I think anyone you get on will tell you, timing is so huge. Phil Foden was still 17, 16, 17 in the under 23s, under 18s. And then you go and buy Bernardo Silva, he's an unbelievable player. And now Phil Foden could miss an opportunity because he, he the timing, just for the timing, not through anything, ability or anything like that. Um, Manchester City's performance in the league, you know. It's almost been to their usual standards, um, cataclysmic. I mean, 25 points behind the runaway leaders and the champions-elect Liverpool. How painful has it been for Manchester City? Yeah, it's been painful. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I can't even talk with enthusiasm. <laughs> like, like, obviously, playing for Everton and then, yeah. There's a, there's a, there's not even, I don't even know if it's a rivalry, it's like a, like a hatred kind of thing there, yeah. obviously. And then going to City and them being the rivals in terms of the title challenge, yeah, it's, 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 it's difficult to watch, but you've got to give them credit. You've, you've got to give them credit. They've performed unbelievably consistent. Um, so that's kind of the new standard. The new standard isn't doing anything extraordinary in terms of performances, it's just doing it every week. It's just no blips. And that's the kind of level that Man City and, and Liverpool have set. Um, I do think, obviously, injuries have played a massive, massive part. I think Laporte's impact, especially this season with no Vinny, was going to be huge. Um, and it has been huge since he's arrived. His, his impact, I'm not comparing the players, but his impact to Man City has been similar, in my opinion, to Van Dijk of Liverpool. And I think if you, for instance, now take... Take Van Dijk out of that team and put Fabinho at the back for Liverpool. 
it's a different team. Yeah, but Jordan, Jordan, but it's easy to say that. But you've got John Stones that was dubbed to be the biggest English centre-back talent since Rio Ferdinand, and he's on the bench. He's not playing games. Yeah, as I said, but there, there has been some injury issues, and obviously John will be the first to admit there has been some performance blips. But I'm just saying, if your best centre-half is missing, and mm. then your for my again my opinion, your best holding midfielder is not in his position and has to compensate that. Like it, it's going to make a difference. I'm not saying City are going to be tough. You know what I mean. But the difference would have been, wouldn't be as dramatic as if as if them players were fit and then vice versa for Liverpool. Yeah. So, um, Jolin, when we look at the two teams, like there's been a drastic fall off for uh, Manchester City. If we were to set an action plan of how Manchester City can close the gap on Liverpool, what things do you think need to be improved on? Oh. Um... Again, obviously, the, the easy one to, to say would be to, to get someone in terms of uh, replacement, if, if that happens again. So if your injuries hit you again, you've got your best players playing in their best positions. But in terms of the gap, I, I, I just think it's, it's, it's a new level of consistency. I, I, I don't think there's one thing that's going to that's gonna say, yeah, do that and then you'll be okay. Like, if you look at this season start of this season I honestly believe if you would have asked both of them clubs managers players which one do you want to win do you want to win the league, uh, the league or the Champions League both of them would have took mm. the ones they won opposite ones they won the year before and that looks like that's going to be the case hopefully City get through and the Champions League is still, is still allowed to be played and they win that and is that a bad season? Is winning the Champions League for the first time in your history of finishing 25 <laughs> points second? Is that a bad season? No, it's not. I'll take it. Yeah, so Jolien, I've got a quick follow-up question to that as well. From the outside looking in, you know, a lot of people have said domestically, Manchester City are full up. There's no appetite to go out on the pitch and, you know, put on performances. And that's been a major part of why Liverpool have actually gone on to, you know, take an unassailable league in this title campaign. From speaking to the lads and being in and around, you know, the Etihad campus, do you think it's true? No, nah, I think that's a, just a throwaway comment. People say <laughs> that, that are not involved in football. Like, they always know to kind of, to repeat the domestic form in any league. Um, what was it? Before, like, City's double title double is it Man United what six seven years ago kind of thing so everybody knows to retain the title is the hardest thing so to actually kind of do it three times yeah that's going to be difficult and obviously Liverpool have got that kind of being so close over the last couple of years they're nearly there where that's the kind of mindset that Man City potentially have in the Champions League I don't think it's a case of our we don't care about the league. We, we, we feel it's too easy for us. I, I don't think that's the case at all. I don't think any player will ever tell you they go out there intentionally not to perform. It just sometimes doesn't happen. And obviously, you've got to think that you've got to respect the teams in the league. Like, they're working Man City out now. If you are mm. the same team, coach, players, go into the Etihad, trying to play the same way as you did the last two years, when you got your face, boss, and you just come in with the same game plan. Come on, you know what I mean. You've got to, you've got to do something different. So yeah. that's what I'm saying. Teams are doing now, and as I said, now it's for Pep and the team to kind of figure out that part of it as well. Oh, definitely. Do you know what, Julian? Going back to um, a question that Dej asked just just then about um, a plan of action to to sort of narrow that gap and whatnot. Um, 
in t- and, and going back to the, 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 the point that we were, we were raising about John Stones, what is the, the, the best approach? Is it City going out and, and buying another central defender? Or is it getting in, um, you know, a, a new or different defending coach to work with John Stones and, and the other centre-backs coming through? And the reason I ask is because w- when we spoke to Sylvain Distan recently, mm. he was very much of the opinion that um, John Stones hasn't been co- um, coached correctly um, in, 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 in his development so far, in, in the sense that um, perhaps there should be, have, have been more of a focus on actually defending rather than him being comfortable on the ball and distribution and his, his touch and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, so so where, where do you stand on, on, on that? Yeah, I, I understand where um, and I've seen the comments from Sylvan and, um, and I agree with them to a certain extent because the era that we're from, you were taught how to defend and then, okay, be able to do this with the ball where I think it's the opposite now. And I think that's why Laporte stands, I mean, Van Dyke stands out because he doesn't give the ball away, but no one says he's unbelievable on the ball, but he never gives it away, but he's the best defender. And I mm. think when you are the best defender, if you are the best defender nowadays, you'd stand out more because more defenders can di- play and, and distribute it well rather than defend. And yeah, I, I just think that's the modern game. Um, is it John Stone's fault? No. Would he benefit from some defensive mindset coaching? Of course. I think every defender benefits from that. Like Vinny still does that kind of, I'm still in contact with him. I know how he approaches the game. So it wouldn't hinder his development having a different approach to his style of play but then he's also got to fit into Man City's style of play mm-hmm. um, and that's the biggest thing um, if, if Pep is, is happy with the way it's gone who am I to say mm-hmm. John Stones needs to work at anything you know what I mean? yeah. Yeah. yeah so Jolian we want to move it for, um, backwards to your Wolves career breaking through under Colin Lee you spent six years at the club you know, I see you smiling because obviously you've got a lot <laughs> of rich memories you know, breaking into the team, you know, promotion pushes, relegation. Like, how was your time at um, Wolves? Because from the outside looking in, I know you won a lot of awards there, players of the season, young player of the season. But I want to dial into around the period where, you know, getting promoted to the Premier League, then you had to miss, you know, the following season <sighs> through an injury. You and Matt Murray the two yeah. linchpins of the side then having to watch the team from the sidelines get relegated. How was that? At the time, it was fine because I'd never played in the Prem. The Prem was obviously the pinnacle of English football, but it wasn't like it is now. Like, you, you see match of the day once a week and that was it. The, what, you know what I mean? So, I didn't kind of understand what I was missing out on at that time. Um, it wasn't until I kind of got back fit um, and then I realised how much, how big of a, of a season that was to miss. Um, well, yeah, going back to the to, to the promotion, like I, I got injured the um, the penultimate game of the season. I injured myself in training, and I was told just to rest the last game of the season. And then, obviously, I wasn't told how serious my injury was. Played in the playoff games, um, we got promoted. Matt Murray made the match in the final yeah. and then I went for an operation and then when I woke up I was told oh you're, that injury was quite serious you, you're going to be out for what six seven months I was like what 
that, that's new to me. I thought I was going to be training pre-season kind of yeah. thing. And again, medicine wasn't what it was now. You know what I mean? So I was told then I was going to be, I think it was the start of December. You'll be fit by the start of December. And that was it. There wasn't a plan for me to have in place to, uh, like a structure of a rehab sequence. It was, oh, by the time that happens, you'll be... Hello? Hello. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I'd, I'd got injured and then I was told I was going to be fit in the December. So again, no plan in place, no rehab. Literally, we'll just go to the gym, do generic stuff. It wasn't even like knee specific stuff. And then two weeks before I was due to start training again, I was, they, uh, I was advised to start running on a treadmill. Um, obviously, I hadn't done enough strength work, so I did that. It was a bit sore. Um, literally first day back in training, did the same thing over again. So wow. then I had to miss the remaining of the season. And I, that's when he was explained to me that this is, this is really serious. Um, and the second time I did a bit more research before I had the operation. Um, I don't know if you remember Adi Akinbaye. Yeah. Yeah. The striker. Yeah. 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 So Leicester as well. He was at Wolves and he was at Palace at the time. And he advised me to go and see, um, Richard Stedman, who's based in America, he was to kind of do Van Nistelrooy and, and um, R9 mm. there, uh, surgery. but not just the surgery, he gives you a plan of what it looks like to come back from the injury. So I took some time to, to see him, meet him, um, and then went and had the operation out there. And there was a strict procedure to kind of get back to, to fitness. And my naive thought process then was, oh, if, if, I, if I do what I'm told, I'll get back. And if there's no pain, there's no reason why I can't perform the way I was performing before. And that was just a simple mindset I had. And luckily for me, that kind of panned out. And then later on in my career, I realized that you're going to have to continue this. This is not just a, to get back fit, it's to stay fit. And then to obviously mm. to progress and progress. Last one on walls before we move on. Um, so what advice would you give um, to young players that, you know, are curtailed, um, by nasty injuries because recently we spoke to a player in the championship. Um, I'm not going to mention the name to break confidence, but um, they were injured for the whole season when they got promoted to the Premier League. And he said mentally he was in the dumps, he was in the doldrums, he was in depression. So what advice would you give to young professionals? Because I'm sure a lot of them see you as a mentor. Yeah, yeah it's, it's difficult and it's, it's not easy, it, it, but it won't determine how far you go in your career if you don't let it. Like with all the medicine now and, and the stuff you can do, like I was back then, there wasn't even like internet on your phone. So I had to like literally go on YouTube on my, on my computer at home, write down what they were doing, the best programs, and then try and implement them at training yeah. before the lads used to come in. So... But now you, you just look at your phone and everyone's kind of doing the thing. So in terms of what you need to do, it's easier access. You just have to have the, the mindset to do it. Um, and if, if it's hard, then, it, it's, then you probably won't reach your potential. Like, you know what I mean? If you don't do the work, and it, I would say, if you get to a point of where it's sore or you, you're still finding it, then it's too late. You need to like, you're going to have days where you feel, yeah, I'm, I'm back. 
and I'm and I'm good as ever. <laughs> do it, do it them days. Don't wait for it to be mm. sore. To do it, like continue the work when it's when you feel good, and then you stay on top of it. So yeah, but it, but it is hard, as I said, and the depression side of it. I only realised that side of the game, how how significant that is when I retired. When I retired, um, I, I, I retired a year early. I had a plan to do one more season. Um, and that wasn't to be. And then when I realized I was going to retire, there was a, like a three month period. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I, I understood how people get depressed. I honestly believed, I honestly knew this is real. Wow. Yeah. Not yeah. that I was depressed. I, I'm not going to say yeah. I was depressed yeah. at that level, but I honestly knew how, yeah. you know what I mean? How people get to that level. Yeah. Mm. So, Jolene, you were mentioning um, Glenn Hoddle in passing earlier on about being, you know, it was a joy to play under him. When you see him commentate and speak about the game, you know, it's on another level. Mm. So, hearing that day in, day out on the training ground, what was it about him that made him so special and unique to you? Yeah, as I said, like, when I hear him now, if, if when he explains stuff in his commentary, you can see, like, if he, if he was commentating on the radio and you hadn't watched the game, you would, have, you would see the picture and it yeah. wouldn't be a 10-minute answer. It would be like this, 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 this. There you go. You're lucky I can see that. I can understand <laughs> why he made that decision. And that's exactly how I got him when we worked together. And he used to say things and then go try and go. And I would say, yeah, I've got it. And it, as I said, it wasn't because I'm the know-it-all or the prophet or whatever. It was just, I was just on the same understanding as him and he was the first well the only manager to to have me doing finishing sessions and I'm like why has he got me doing finishing I'm not I'm a defender <laughs> and he used to say to me you get into so many good positions in set pieces but you don't score enough so I used to, he used to have me doing finishing seriously like every other week or whatever just me him and, and one of the coaches and then I go to Everton and I scored 10 goals in one season and I'm like <laughs> Surely that must be the same mm -hmm. thing. He must have seen it, and then all of a sudden, it's a mad coincidence. No, hundred percent. And 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 it was. It, it's great that you um sort of segued in, into uh, Everton because your final um season at um at Wolves, you were in the Championship PFA Team of the Year, right? And so that's great. You you've bounced back from that injury, and you, you you've come back strong. And that obviously then um you know meant that you started courting interest from from other, other clubs. And I guess I wanted to ask you a bit about that period of, of, of the, the transfer from Wolves to, to Everton. Because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the, the move was slightly delayed because mm. Everton wanted to have some extra um, medical checks done because of, obviously, the issues that you had with your, your knee earlier on. And, and we've seen so many cases and, and incidents of transfers falling through because of a player failing a medical and whatnot. So was that playing on your mind in that period of time as well? Like, this could potentially not happen because of this? Yeah, well, I, I got the call to go up there um, to do the medical. And I've never done them. I've obviously never done a medical before. And my agent just said to me, well, we're going to go there, do this, do that, do that. Um, take a few days. And I was due to go on holiday. So I'd already booked my holiday with my friends. Um, so we get it in before. Um, then I would hopefully sign and then go on holiday. So we get up there and it's been four days shouldn't take that long to do that mm. and then there was obviously it was the first time they're seeing my medical history and I've, I know what my knee looks like and you shouldn't yeah my knee shouldn't pass a medical 
But the previous two seasons, like you said, I played my first season back from injury. I played 50, I think it was 40 something games, 49, maybe 50 games. And the second season, I played 54 games. So I played more in them two seasons than anyone had done for Everton wow. in them two seasons. Wow. <laughs> so that was kind of my medical. And that was always the case throughout my career. If you look, if you graded me on my scans, I would never pass a medical. But mm. in terms of my game time and my availability, I was up there with anyone mm. in the squad that I was going to like. So I played them two seasons, went to Everton and was played in every game for three seasons. So that was five Very years I played yeah. in every game. So you couldn't then argue that my knee was going to be a hindrance. I'm not saying I played well in all them games, but I was available <laughs> yeah. and that was the thing. So I understood why um, Everton had reserved at the start. But then when I kind of explained that and my agent was explaining that, are you signing me due to that or are you signing me because I can perform at that level consistently? Then obviously the decision was made. Um, but it was frustrating because... I was there for four days, it never happened. And then my agent said, if it doesn't get done tomorrow, we'll, we'll just go. Because it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't like we were waiting on stuff. It just wasn't happening. Mm. I was like, yeah, getting frustrated. So I'd planned to go um, back down. And then now my holiday, I'm three days into my holiday. So it's been like eight, nine days now since I mm. initially went up there. I'd stayed in a hotel um, and, and just waiting around, hopefully to get it done. And the agent said, you know what? I don't know if this is going to happen. Just go on holiday. So I'd missed like three days. I'd done the medical, went back and just said, yeah, okay. If it happens, great. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Literally got off the plane. Um, and I had a text from agent. It's done. And yeah. kind of, oh, that, that night on holiday was there. Yeah, so Jolene, when you look at your career, it's been step-on-step progression and making moves at the right time. When you reflect on your time at Everton, working under David Moyes, finishing fifth and sixth, what sort of memories do you hold about that period of time? Yeah, fun memories, as I said. It was hard at first. I went there hoping um, to play. And uh, initially, I wasn't in the team. And that was a frustrating thing. But again, luckily for me, someone got injured and... I kind of never came out the team. But in terms of the playing time uh, and the progression, I wanted to improve all the time. So I would just ask questions, uh, applied myself in training. And, and there was a period where me and David Moyes didn't get on. I didn't want to play left back. Um, mm. I, wasn't, I hadn't played left back before. I'd never been coached there. And for me, top three left backs of all time and definitely the best in England was actually Cole. So I was never going to play for England as a left-back because we had Ashley Cole. So I was thinking if I'm, I'm best at set-half, not that I'm better than what we had, and I'll, I'll go into that as well, but there was more opportunity for me to play for England set-half. So that's kind of where me and David Moyes had disagreements over that. But again, he knew I would give 100% um, if, if selected in any position. We all know that, you know, David Moyes done a terrific um, job at Everton and since his departure, the club's pretty much never been the same. But obviously he moved on to Manchester United and I think since then, to be quite frank, he's probably had a fall from grace. What has actually happened to David Moyes? Because before he was a very, very good manager. 
I still think he's obviously he's a good manager, but I just think there's different things you need to be good at when you go to other levels. Um, like obviously Everton, like I was told, my first season at Everton was the first year David Moyes didn't take the warm-ups for the games. Imagine seeing coaches now warming up players for games. Like you just wouldn't see that. And, and I think that was the situation at Everton where he was used to doing everything. And then when you go to a, a place like Man United, you can't do everything. That is impossible for you to do that, everything. Um, but also, knowing David Moyes, and it wasn't a problem for me. Um, some players, it, it can be. He didn't, and he admitted this, he, he didn't, wasn't comfortable giving praise. Mm. Like, if you did something exceptional, it was hard for him to say, that was brilliant. You know what I mean? You, you, you get a well done, and that was enough because you knew kind of what he, what he meant by that. But some people are just incom- uncomfortable giving people praise. But when you go to a le- the level that Man United were at and you've got them players that are used to kind of hearing the negative, but then when we do something exceptional, saying, yeah, that's, out- that's outrageous, that's unbelievable, and so, you don't say that, that's where the conflict may come. So, Julian, are you saying that basically his methods are pretty much out of date because... The 1990s generation, they want to be cajoled. They want to be praised by their manager. They want their manager to be their best friend. No, I wouldn't say out of date because, as I said, that's a personal trait. And I think if you look at Jose Mourinho, like, I think he doesn't have that trait of to glowingly praise people openly. Uh, He he has it in him to to criticise them. And as an individual, not in football, if someone's openly criticising me but won't openly praise me, Mm. it's hard for me to take that criticism mm. like there needs you, to be a happy medium sort yeah. of thing I, I, I've mm. got no problem mm. with you criticising me if you're in the same platform you're praising me no mm. problem I can take it all both ways but don't say like in the, in the dressing room oh that was rubbish or this that and the other and then um, or say in the, in the dressing room not say that and then in the press go and say them things you know what I mean and that's mm. the thing if we look at that trait because the managing side of it for me comes down to that. It doesn't come down to what you know about football because you all go on the same courses. You all spend enough time around the game to understand and see mm. patterns. And but if if we're taught the same things in a, on a course, this is my frustration with the coaching badges. If if we're taught the same things on a course, but then how are we different managers? If we're taught the same thing, it's our traits, personal yes. traits, yes. Yeah, yeah, implement yes. them to allow us to do different things. And I. Again, that is why possibly Klopp and Pep are so good now because, again, they've got the knowledge like everyone else, but their empathy trait is higher. So they're able to just say in the press, no, nah, that wasn't his fault. <laughs> that, no, that was my fault. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? About themselves and take the responsibility, which is what Jose had when he was at Chelsea the first time. Mm-hmm. You don't see him do that so much now. You know what I mean? And this generation of people not footballers, these people is totally different to say that other generation. Mm. Yeah, so before we, <laughs> before we move on, um, I just wanted to ask about the Merseyside derby. I asked Sylvan this question as well. From the outside looking in, it seems to be maybe some sort of inferiority complex coming from Everton towards Liverpool. It's as if Everton see Liverpool as a club that, oh, we want to be them. Look at them, big old Liverpool. We're going to give everything to get to that level. But when they play each other, Everton always falls short. 
So was there a mentality crisis going into those games and with the approach towards Liverpool? Again, yeah, outside looking in, 100%. That is a massive game. Uh, I'm, again, I've not been on the Liverpool side to know how they treat it. But yeah, like you can't wear... I remember my debut for England and the, my boot sponsor, Adidas at the time, had sent me the boots you have to wear. And then I got a call from David Moyes to say, congratulations, don't bring them boots back because they were red. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's how deep it goes. That's yeah, how deep that's the rivalry mad. is. But in terms of like my, my derby experiences, like I played in one where we beat them in the FA Cup. I scored at, uh, at Anfield and then we beat them in the replay. And, mm. I've, and I was took part in the 3-0 win at, at Goodison. So I've been lucky enough to play in some of the, the positive ones for Everton. Yeah, there's obviously overall Liverpool have dominated, but you've got to forget, you can't forget for me, they've had one off, if not the best players in the history of the Premier League, and that's Steven Gerrard. And mm. what that means to him, that's got to mean the same to every Everton player. And I'm not saying it doesn't, but it means a lot to Steven Gerrard being a Liverpool captain, Liverpool lad, you know what I mean? So, what, from an Everton point of view, do you think they were missing those sort of homegrown plays in the games? Possibly, yeah. I think if, if you've got Wayne Rooney in his prime playing for Everton, th- them games are not going the way they've gone. You've got mm-hmm. Steven Gerrard playing in his prime for Liverpool, you know what I mean? And I'm not saying mm-hmm. with Wayne Rooney playing with other bunch of stars. I'm talking just put Wayne Rooney in any team, in his prime, in any Everton team, them results are not the same. And Jolien, we even saw it like for Everton when he went back there um, yeah. 1-1 he scored the penalty and you saw the passion and the heart like, it's just that's what I'm saying that's what that means to like players of that like especially Liverpool Everton you know what I mean like yeah against United players um, homegrown players will tell you the same and any homegrown player will tell you the same but for, for again for, for Gerrard and, and Rooney to play in that derby is, is huge isn't it so they wear the heart on their sleeve every game 100%. Uh, Jolien, final question on Everton before we move it on. Whilst you were playing there, you were, were playing in the same team as a certain Mikel Arteta. And what I wanted to ask is, at that point, could you see that he had the ingredients to, to go on and, and potentially have a, a, a future career in, in management? Were there telltale signs even at, at, at that stage in his career? No, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to guess he was going to be a manager. No, mm. I, could, wow. I knew he had the knowledge to be a manager because his football IQ was high. Like, I had a lot of respect for Mikel as a player when he played left wing and I was left back. But when he went to holding midfield, that's when I knew he had a different level of IQ and a different level because he was able to prevent stuff. Like, Mikel was never going to go and smash someone. And he'd come from the wing where he was doing stepovers and going past players. And then all of a sudden, used to control the tempo of the game for us. But not tackling, really. Not, not pulling out of tackles, but he wasn't known for doing that. Mm. You know what I mean? We had Lee Carsley in, in that position. Um, that, that's what his job was, to break up playing and kind of give it where Mikel was dictating play. So when I'd seen that transition for him, I knew he had a different IQ football-wise. Um, in terms of where he's gone and how quickly he's got there, I'd be lying if I said, yeah, I've seen that. I was, I was able to see that. <laughs> um, moving forward, obviously you made a big money move to Manchester City. Um, 
And in 2011-2012, Manchester City arrived as the noisy neighbours, winning their first Premier League trophy. And as we mentioned earlier, that Aguero moment. <laughs> <laughs> Just talk to us, sum up that, that occasion. The, the, the day? Yeah. Like that day. Okay, so obviously that was yesterday, the anniversary. Yeah. Mm, that was, yeah, that is, it's a madness, like, I don't remember the, I don't, I don't remember the build-up in a week. I don't remember the training sessions, what it was like the day before. Um, and that's kind of credit to everyone there because we didn't get carried away with it I just remember thinking if we win this game we win the league um, and then obviously the game happened and then honestly like it, it gives me goosebumps now talking about it and thinking about it like, as you said at the start for me that won't be beaten in terms of a Premier League finish um, the fact that they made it so well known about us being the noisy neighbours um, and all that stuff. Obviously, the first time we're doing it, they are and still are obviously the, the most glorified Premier League team. And to be their arch rivals and, you know what I mean, to, to be assembled and only be assembled for, for money. We was only joining Man City for money. That's what everyone made out it was for. Um, but we obviously had a, a different motivation and different agenda and that was to kind of be successful. Um, so to be part of that was special. But that day itself, I just remember the celebrations after and it was and it was great because the club wasn't the size it is now and the, um, we were told we had a celebration in the town hall and everyone had to go and every, you could bring your, everyone you wanted to bring but every member of staff from every department was in there and it, was, it just went off, it just went off. Yeah, so Jolin, what I wanted to ask is how is it like playing with David Silva and Yaya Torre? Because those two players have etched themselves into Premier League folklore. I mean, yeah. Yaya Torre at times, it was like men against boys. The finishes, the free kicks, he was doing what he wanted at, like, at times. So how is he as a man and how is he like to work with? Yaya is, is in, in a group, is very quiet. You probably wouldn't notice him. doesn't want that attention from the group um, but once you get him in a smaller group one two like he's so funny he, like great guy to be around you know what I mean like he's playful he's, he's he can be silly like silly silly you know what I mean so like, like he's just a down to earth guy considering where he was coming from um, and the statue he had he, he didn't make himself feel he didn't make us feel like oh you're beneath me you know what I mean? Yeah, he expected things off us in terms of on the field, but he didn't kind of carry this aura around of him saying, I'm better than you, like. But in terms of, like you said, in terms of his play, the best player I've played with, because Ooh. different to wow. footballer, though, and I'll explain, the different <laughs> okay. footballer and player are different. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. okay. Because player for me, if Yaya played well, we won. There was n nothing else was going to happen. Like, if he was man of the match, we won the game and and that's what special players do like Gerard has that ability if he's man of the match Liverpool he would only get man of the match and Liverpool lost Wayne Rooney has that ability yeah, yeah. Yaya Torre has that ability you know what I mean so we're footballer now David Silva oh my god <laughs> <laughs> Nah. Dynamo, magician, <laughs> maestro. Yeah. Oh. Different guy. Because oh, then you got to remember when he come, yeah. 
it was four four two. We weren't playing no free in midfield. It, it was four four two. He was a winger. He was a winger. So yeah, do everything else and then do what you do that no one else can do. You know what I mean? So yeah, them two, they're ridiculous, ridiculous players. Um, what about, and guys, what about um, Vincent Company? Because for me, he sort of sums up the Abu Dhabi tenure. He was bought in the first window along with Zabaleta, and he sort of. You know, he's been throughout the journey up until recently. Was, was Vinny not there before? Yeah, he was there. Yeah, he was the there, there before. before. Yeah, he was yeah, there yeah. Before. I'm sure he was bought before them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In terms yeah. of what you're saying, yeah, Vinny, it's funny because how Vinny was at the end, Vinny was like that before the success. That's how he carried himself. That's how he spoke. That's how he looked and viewed things. But the, I, the, I'm not sure everyone was on the same page. Like whether that be players, us as players, the club, he had a vision of what he expected and what he wanted, and then everything else mirrored that. And then at the end, that's when you see, yeah, Vin is is that guy. You know what I mean? So, exactly. in terms of how he approached everything, he was deadly serious. Like, like when we used to go to games, like lads would listen to music and stuff like that. Vinny was doing a master's degree. Like he would have his his book out. And his marker pen and highlighting sent and we're like, Vinny, put it away, man. And he would say, like, I can't this is how I concentrate. This is how he has to focus on yeah. anything. And like we would all go away games and everyone would have PlayStation or whatever. He would have his briefcase and we're like, Vinny, man, come on, give us a chance, bro. <laughs> give us a chance. At, yeah. he, as I said, he, he wasn't even the oldest in the team, but he he, he he was like he was, you know what I mean? He was like he was the oldest. Um Definitely, obviously, highly intelligent. Speaks multiple, multiple languages. Some of them that you don't need, as well. So, but yeah, yeah a, a good friend, a good friend. Do you, do you know what? So we we've mentioned um, in passing there are a few players, right? And and I mean the team was star studded, back to front. Um, you know, honourable mentions for Mario Balotelli, uh, Rabinho, Alano, like all these players that were playing at the club. And I guess I wanted to ask Julian, like, what was what was training like? You know, you've got all these top players in the club. Was it highly competitive? Was it, did it really just go off on a, on a different level in terms of how, how much it challenged you as a player as well? What was that like? Yeah, of course. Uh, when I first got there, it was Micah, Vinny and Nigel. That I'd, I'd never seen players train like that. I would never, I'd never seen people train to that level every day. And like, like it was a game. I'd seen people try hard and try their maximum, like, and I believed I did. They would go in for tackles, like, I wouldn't tackle in training, because I'm mm. not trying to, in they didn't care, like, put your shin pads on, if, if you care, if you're scared <laughs> about that, they don't come out here, kind of yeah. thing, they had that mindset, and as you train said, as quality, you play, train as you yeah, play, yeah. Basically. which, which again, is great, I never, I never had to that extent, not that I was sliding in games, anyway, I never really slide tackle, but in terms of, that, that was like, oh, okay, this is, deadly serious these the guys train exactly how they play um but everyone kind of had that to their own style they was just more noticeable because theirs was an aggressive style where if if you talk about the level there are probably two players that probably didn't train the way they played i think arguably, i can guess one uh, uh, well arguably uh, probably the most aggressive as well yeah yeah, yeah Sergio, Sergio <laughs> Tevez. Yeah, wow. Tevez was just like, t in terms of technical ability, 
did his thing. And he's in that bracket of a match winner because the first two seasons, yeah, he, he held us on his back for, for a minute. There was he a deserves. game against Chelsea, I remember. Yeah, did, yeah. Ooh. That was the infamous um, Wayne Bridge thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that was it, mate. Mm. Yeah. But he did that enough times. He did that a few times. Mm. And he deserves an honourable mention because he, he was, he's a problem, a real problem. But they were probably the only two that you wouldn't recognise in training. Yeah. And no one said anything to them about that because come game time, and that's what makes me laugh when growing up with other managers, managers always say, you can't turn it on and off like a light. Mm. You can. <laughs> if, you're <that> good, <laughs> if you're that good, you can turn it on and off like wow. a light. Them boys used to do that. They could say, okay, I can be reserved this week, but then come game time, I can turn the game. Yeah. yeah. Last one, on, last one on Man City. I just want to hark back to your comments on Yaya Torre because for me, when I hear people mention, you know, the best Premier League centre midfielders, I hear Steven Gerrard, I hear Roy Keane, I hear Paul Scholes, I hear Frank Lampard. Do you almost feel like Yaya Torre is underappreciated because, one, he's black, and two, he's African? I think the African thing is, I think... Because, again, African players, obviously, obviously the African nations didn't help. The timing of that competition didn't help any African player, in my opinion. Obviously, being in January when it's serious times for clubs. Um, and I think, I don't know if I'm, if I'm right in saying this, I think that may be the reason why Man United haven't signed that many African players because they know they're going to be in all the competitions that stage of the season. And then to lose arguably one of your best for two months is a problem. Um, I'm not sure it's a black thing um, and I'm I'm not activist but I'm definitely kind of yeah. like if, if it was I'd be pulling people up on it you know what I mean yeah. but yeah. I just think <laughs> I just think the fact like this is the kind of scenario I have with, with the Van Dyke. I think them players did it for longer they didn't do more they just did it for longer like if Van Dijk is still doing what he's doing in seven years' time, this is why, and again, similar with De Bruyne, if the, Kevin De Bruyne is still doing what he's doing in six years' time, that means he would have done it for as long as David Silva. So now we can have the conversation of who's mm. the best. Mm. And I just think, I'm not saying anyone's doing any more than anyone else, but if you do it for longer, surely I um, should be granted the title of one of the best. Mm. Yeah, so Jolan, you had a season at West Brom before you went to Aston Villa. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you played in a lot of games at West Brom, but I just wanted to ask one question about one particular player, and that's Saido Berahino. We've seen him in the press this week have, you know, a candid interview with Daps from the Counter-Attack podcast saying that he wants to come back to the UK to apply his trade, hopefully in the Premier League. You know, from working with him, obviously he's admitted these mistakes, He's gone to Belgium. He said he's matured now. How good can he be? And do you think he's a Premier League striker? Definitely can play in the Premier League. um, He reminded me of of the way he played, like Defoe. I know the stature and all that size of it. But his finishing technique was was similar. But having known Jermaine for when we were 16 and know how he works, I used to try and explain that to Saido and say... Jermaine's doing what you're doing, but he's working on top of that to be the best he can be every day. He's, he's got natural ability, Saido has, and he had all that stuff. But he didn't want to kind of mature everything and make every decision to benefit his career. So, like, 
like, like it's going back to the injury one. If he was like when I said, if, if you're having a good day, don't think it's, it's you don't need to do the extra work. Like that's the kind of mindset you need to be the best. Like Defoe didn't score a hat trick and then think, you know what, I don't need to do a finishing now for two weeks. Mm. No, I need to do it tomorrow. I need to go and do it tomorrow to make sure I'm scoring two next week. And that's the mindset I think Sido needs. But he was young. So, and he was a player that was, he probably should have moved from, from West Brom earlier than he did. Um, but again, I don't know the circumstances around that. I know there was issues at the club that kind of hindered that. Um, yeah, I think time. he was being used as a pawn in a takeover, in a potential takeover. Yeah, That's what he came I, out and said. Yeah, again, and, and that was probably true, but that's still not a reason for you not to apply yourself. Yeah. Like, I, I don't care. There's no reason someone can tell me you shouldn't be trying your hardest at any circumstance. Because if that is the case, you then go, you then leave. Like, if you're still applying yourself and you're a pawn, granted he was, but you still get the move that you want. You know what I mean? And as I said, it was, he was there going potentially to be, he was playing like in England squad. At, at West Brom and the, what, yeah. yeah the one Cold thing player. yeah, yeah he, he, as I said footballing wise he, he was, <laughs> and again he had a, he's got a good footballing IQ which is which is surprising because you'll be you'll see people that there'll be players that don't have it they just have good attributes but he had a good footballing IQ was able to play multiple positions and was unfortunate with the outcome of that transfer but I still think he should apply he should have applied himself um, more so than he did but now, hopefully, he's matured. As I said, I've, I've got a lot of time for Sido. Um, I did try and help him um, when I was there and would still love to, to see him do well. Moving on to, to Aston Villa, um, I remember um, a catastrophic um, season in 2015 to 2016 where you had, I think, four managers. You had Tim Sherwood yeah. as a permanent and you also had Remy Gardner running the season as a permanent Kevin McDonald as well. Kevin interim, McDonald, yeah. Um, Eric Black. Uh, yep. I remember a, a massive outburst from, um, you know, Aston Villa cult hero, Stan Colomor, um, where he was very, very outspoken about, you know, you in particular, Lee, and a lot of the other players. And he said, you know, in the summer, you guys are going to be in Dubai, popping your ace of spades, you know, with <laughs> no care in the world. Yeah. <laughs> this is and what I'm saying, man. Stan, mm. like, and, and I won't expose him, but, like, he forgets. He was at Villa when my brother was at Villa. My brother was an apprentice. So I know ridiculous stories about him. What, like what? Nah. This I knew. Like, it was funny because, like, Gareth Barry, the GOAT, you know what I mean? That's mm. King GB. He reached out <laughs> to me. When it was going on, he reached out to me and said, do you want me to expose him? Wow. For him to say that, I was like, that's enough. Strong. <laughs> that's enough. I, my, my reputation is enough with the people I've worked with and the people I've played with, like, to know. Even the Villa team at the time, yeah, it was, and I played my part in us getting relegated. Um, but the people I've worked with in, in pretty much all the clubs, I'd like to say all of them, wouldn't have a negative thing to say about my professionalism. So him saying them things about me going to Dubai is strange. And what killed me was, is that when he was making it personal, I, I, text, I messaged him 
I said, we're both men. Come down the training ground. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? What happened? <laughs> he, he he posted the he posted the message. He posted it. Come on, man. What's Julian? Are you saying that stand is irrelevant? <laughs> that, no, but what I'm saying is like, because I've I've thought about this before. Like, I've scored as many goals for the national team as he has. I don't I, I, I don't know. I might have got more. I've only got one. But I'm saying like, he retired. Before I, before the age I was at Aston Villa, so him to compare and say these things, I'm like, you wasn't even playing at this age, so you don't even know what it's like to be in this scenario, kind of thing at 33, 34. So pay some respect. And what also frustrated me was that Stan had his his issues with depression and mental mm-hmm. health. How does he know? I never, or players in the squad never. And the way he was going at us, I'm thinking, you could be affecting them. You could be affecting some players' mental health, but you have no consideration to, to, for that. So you're just willing to expose and, and just kind of say whatever you want for viewings or ratings and not care about an issue that, that made what played a part in you retiring. And that was yeah. kind of like, you're not, you're not serious enough about the issue if you're willing to do that. Yeah, it was very vocal. And obviously there was the car incident where you mistakenly, you know, tweeted a car that maybe a youth player sent you or something like that. And to be honest, throughout that season, there was a lot of criticism. I remember after the... I I remember after the... Go on. I remember after the... Liverpool game, you're going to say... Yeah, the Valentine's Day massacre (laughs) that people were calling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And as I said, I'm I'm not hiding the fact that I played my part. But if you really analyse the whole scenario... Tim Shell was the manager and that was his first pre-season because he joined the back end of the season before. We signed eight players that never played in the Premier League before. And we'd signed... Um, we had a sporting director and chief executive, maybe. They'd never done their jobs before. So we had potentially... Was that Tom Fox, I believe? Yeah, yeah um, and I think he was Swedish, I can't remember. Mm. But... There was, for me, there were so many people in, in new roles. It couldn't be anyone's, any one person's fault. It had to be all of ours, all of our issue. And then the decision to get rid of Tim was funny because Tim understood the league, at least. He understood what it was going to take if we were going to get out of it. And then to go and get someone that didn't understand, but just because basically he was a French-speaking manager to kind of come in and try and turn it around. It was, it was just too strange. It was just going to be too strange to, to, to happen. Um, but yeah, we, we all played a part in that. And as I said, I hold my hands off to that. Yeah, so how was the environment? I know you had Micah, you had Brad, you know, you had Leandro. You know, people were uh, saying, oh, the players threw in the white towel that they gave up after an extent. You were inside that dressing room. To all Villa fans listening, what actually went on that season? Obviously, not enough went on because we didn't really survive. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at the before that, Liverpool won. Well, Liverpool Villa finished seventeenth the season before, and and I think they were down there the season before that. So this wasn't just like oh we finished sixth and now we got relegated. <laughs> like we've been we're down there I'm for and then you go and get rid of Benteke, who's, who's fifty. But I think it was forty eight percent of the goals, his contribution. Goals and assists. Eighteen. Yeah, goals, but he was goals season, and assists yeah. was forty-eight yeah. yeah. percent. Yeah. And then you go and sign players that 
haven't scored in the Premier League. So it just doesn't it doesn't add up. You've got players now like how would Southampton look without Danny Ings who scored fifteen mm. goals? You know what I mean? And he's a, and he's a veteran in the Premier League. So for us to sign and get out of that with not just the goals because I said it doesn't, it's not just that, but there wasn't enough thought in the replacements for not the quality because Adrissa Gay had an amazing season um, and Jordan Veritude now gone on to represent mm. Roma. So the players wasn't the issue. It was just the timing of it all together was, was obviously wrong in terms of me being the age I was, players coming in and not being Premier League experience. Obviously, the, the club, the departments of the club not doing their jobs before. So as I said, there was loads of things. But in terms of what it looks like out, outside in, yeah, it, it, was, it was poor, man. It was horrible. And being a Villa fan, poor. Yeah. I grew up with Villa fan, yeah, and so it hurt. Yeah. And that's the thing still sits with me now is that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I understand I was going to be made part of the scapegoat. It was easier to kind of get rid of me than it was other players because of my age and what I cost the club. But when family members who had come and supported me every team I, I'd represented couldn't come to the games because they were getting abused and stuff. That was yeah. when I was like, now it's getting serious. And I'm like, if, if Villa fans still want to... I had a debate with a, with a, a few fans of a week on Instagram. They were saying certain things. And I was like, in every other team I played for, Villa never finished higher than that team I, I played for whilst I was playing in the Premier League. I'm saying so it can't just be me it's like it's not yeah. just my fault <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. other people, there was other people playing mm. no 100% you know what um, Jolion you, you also touched on um, Christian Benteke there who was obviously integral to the team and I think since he's left he's never really been replaced and, and we've seen um, this season uh, occasions where you know Jack Grealish has, has stepped up and, and really pulled the team and, and, and put them the, 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 um, them on, on his shoulders with some, with some of the goals that he scored and, and performances he's put in. And, you know, his, his performances, of course, have, have, have meant that he started courting interest from, you know, different um, uh, teams in, in the Premier League. And I suppose it might be a, a, a difficult one for, for you to answer because you're obviously uh, a Villa fan, as, as is he, you know, um, and, 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 and currently cu- uh, the, the club captain. But if you were in his shoes... And you were also, and, and, and you were caught in interest from other teams in the Premier League. Would you, would you, um, you know, pay attention to those? And, and, and do you feel that now would be the right time for him to move? Oh, you would, you don't pay attention to them. You just mm. deal with them when they arise. Um, but yeah, for him to move now, it's not a bad decision. I don't think any Villa fan would discourage him leaving. Mm. They know he played a massive part in them getting promoted. If they stay up, he's played a massive part in that. I think to, to, to kind of ridicule him now for potentially leaving when he's on the cusp of becoming like a top, top player. Like he's, he's shown that he can perform in a team that doesn't play to his strengths. So going to a team that potentially does, like it, it can only enhance his reputation. Um, in terms of what does it look like for him in the future? I, I think he has to leave. I think he has to leave. It's going to be difficult now with what's his current scenario. But I, don't, I think if, if the season had finished normally, um, he would have left. He definitely would have left mm. this season. I, I think there would have been too much interest mm. for him not to leave. And, and, and in the 
best way possible, Aston Villa should make that process for him as easy. So it shouldn't, it shouldn't be done last minute where he mm. potentially has to written a transfer request. It should be, this is what we want. Give us this, you can have him. And, and let him lean clean and leave his reputation intact right. so yeah. everybody knows, mm. yeah, he did what he did for us, now go and do it for someone else. Jolian, final question from me. Um, I think I posed this question to Rio Ferdinand as well, and his answer was very interesting. The goat, the goat, yes, the goat. Yes. goat. <laughs> Bush tried to call him one of the best, but we will leave that to another. Wait, night. so Jolian, so would you say Rio best. is the best, best defender of your generation? Yeah, big up. Not even. Yeah. <laughs> not even. Not so, even. As I said, he, he did it for how many years? Mm. Like, not that he wasn't doing any. Not that other people weren't doing it. But he did it for the longest time. And his kit yeah. never got dirty. I, I, I that <laughs> yeah, he had this hashtag, stay on your feet. So yeah. that, that shows what. Yeah. No, but Jonah, just going back to my question, I, I asked Rio, um, were there any incidents in your career where you feel um, you should have spoken out? Um, because, you know, Raheem Sterling in 2018, there was that watershed moment in football where he called out, you know, the media reporting of, of black players I believe if I'm not mistaken you were at Manchester City at the time working behind the scenes in 2018 um, this is almost like a two-part question A did Raheem Sterling consult you before he made that decision to go public and B um, do you feel that you should have said anything in your time in terms of the Raheem uh, scenario credit to him Credit to him for doing that um, and making it more aware. And I'm not as close to the first team as you think enough mm. for them to do that. If, if he did reach out, of course, I would have had a conversation with him. But I don't want to be that guy, that old pro that's around all the time. And it just comes like, why is he still around? Like, I, I, I'll go in when I'm needed to. I don't, I don't see the first team. I don't, I don't, I'm more uncomfortable seeing them because, I, as I said, I don't want them to feel Fresh I'm just... Yeah, I'm just being around, being busy. I don't want that to be my title. You know what I mean? So in terms of that, no, we didn't we didn't speak before. But what he did it was was like what everyone spoke about before. Um I don't feel I was ever at a a level that Raheem has had to have the impact. Not that I'm saying I would have or wouldn't have. There was an incident I was involved in at Everton and I chose to take it to the FA. Um and kind of take it as as far as it needed to be taken, and the way it was handled, I was just like, "This is no, it's no good." There's no. What incident was it, Jolian? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Mm. You know what I mean? Like mm. it was um, me and Tim Howard. There was we were playing Newcastle and Emre. Do you remember Emre, the Turkish midfielder? Yeah, yeah, yes, 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 yeah. yes. That is a core for Spurs. Had that incident yeah. with before. This is before our incident, so. Mm. Um, he like a tackle had happened between him and Joseph Yoba. So me and Tim now on the footage are walking away back to our positions, and he says something to um, to Joseph. And as a black man, the reaction we had, you know, is racist. You only react like that. Like I've mm. seen things since that, and I know that's a racist comment because you, that's a different level of anger emotion um so that was addressed um kind of made our statements and was and, and this is how i knew it was 
something had happened because the manager at the time, Glenn Roder, I think he was the manager, um, he came in to our dressing room after the game to apologise for the incident. Mm. So I'm like, okay, if you're apologising, credit to you, fair play. Goes to wherever it goes to at the time, it was just the FA meeting here. We're told, we can't, me and Tim are told we can't have any representation there. Um, we just need to go there, make our statements, and they'll decide on the outcome. And we get there, he's got three solicitors, a translator, and two character references. And I won't embarrass them of who they are. Um, and I was like, there's no way we're gonna, this is gonna happen. So we made our statements, we were told, oh, they're gonna have a long um, discussion about the event. Bearing in mind, I live in Manchester, we have to go to Leeds, gonna have a long discussion about it, um, and then come up with the, the incident, or come up with the verdict. I hadn't even got home, and it was said he, wasn't, he was innocent. Mm. It's an hour away, I was like, so it's kind of irrelevant. And then I received, and this was my kind of gripe with the Kick It Out campaign, for my, my, my whole playing career, up until recently, until I've spoke to, to say, Troy, who's, who I've got a lot of respect for now. Like, I didn't receive a call from them till after the case hearing. Like, so I didn't know who to call. I didn't know there was a number. I'm thinking, the, I don't know the protocol of what should happen. Mm -hmm. And I, then I didn't wear the T-shirts that everyone kind of been made to wear since or well, before that. I just refused to wear them then for the rest of my career because I just thought it's not, it's not genuine. It's, it's a kind of a gimmicky kind of thing. And as I said, it wasn't until Rio's incident or Anton's incident, sorry, that people was recognized that I wasn't wearing it, hadn't wore it for nine years. I'm like, that's the thing. Like, unless it's a high profile player, there's not enough spotlight shine on it. And I was never in a position uh, when that incident happened, I wasn't at a, a statue to kind of like, that happens at Man City when you, obviously my profile is higher. The outcome is hopefully similar to Raheem's and, mm. and it's addressed in the same way. But again, a lot of credit to Raheem for doing that. And what he addressed and how he did it was, was the best way because mm. we all know, we all know stories of that like, if you compare, and I had this discussion the other day with a friend, a footballer. Jack, um, again, both good guys. I know these guys I'm going to mention now. I, I like top, top talents, but good, good people. Like Jack Wilshire has been so unlucky with injuries, it's ridiculous. But Daniel Sturridge has got a chip on his shoulder and will only play when he's 100% fit. But yet we've never seen him in the same imagery as we've seen. Jack Wilshire, but they're, they're, they're just deemed totally different. Like mm. Stodge is deemed bad for wanting to do uh, pursue a career in music and doing fashion and, and doing like uh, um, giving out awards at events. But yet they've had similar issues with their career in terms of injury, but one's ridiculed for it and the other one's kind of just unlucky. Like if he had been fit, he would have had this career, this pathway, but we never say that mm. about Stodge. Mm. You know what I mean? Big so up Studge. Big up Studge. Big up Studge. Studge D. I used to play with his uncle. At, um, yeah, so Dean. Was, Dean, obviously. Yeah, Dean. So I played yeah. with Dean at Wolves. So I've known, I went to Dean's wedding and I met Daniel there. He was probably, I think he would have been 14. And he told me about him. He said, yeah, my nephew plays for Man City. 
He said he's got mad skills. Mm. It's just just madness. And then obviously he went on to do what he's done. Yeah, so Jolien, I just wanted to, you know, talk about your international career. Obviously made a few caps for England, playing in the Euros 2012, forging a partnership with John Terry. And obviously you got knocked out in the quarterfinals against Italy. How would you reflect on that tournament? Um, for me, obviously, a massive highlight, having scored um, and then going off, obviously getting out of the groups was it with achievement, but disappointed that we didn't get through. We probably shouldn't have won that game anyway, if, I, if I'm honest about mm. the Italy game. Perla was really yeah, causing yeah, yeah, havoc. He's, he's doing the most, yeah. And I think Mario missed a couple of chances and, and Joe made some saves. So in, in terms of the way we lost, he was probably fortunate enough to, to get to penalties. But mm. that, like, playing for England, like, I don't even know if I had that dream when I was young. That's not a dream. Like, of my, that wasn't a dream of mine. Like, kids nowadays probably have that, but I just wanted to be a footballer, say, for Aston Villa. That was a team I supported. And then mm. you get close to that and then you get close to other things and then your ambitions obviously change. But in terms of playing for England, again, this is like what I say about timing. For me, arguably, in anyone's conversation, the what, five best centre-halves for England were Bobby Moore, Tony Adams, Sol Campbell, Rio, John Terry. When I first got into the England team, it was Sol Campbell, Rio Ferdinand and John Terry. So to, to be considered in that bracket at that time, just an achievement for me. Mm. Fair, fair play. Uh, final, final question from me, Jolion. I've got to ask it, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list uh, a few names here and, and, and maybe you, you, you figure out uh, early, early doors what they all have in common. 50 Cent, Rex 32, Kano, Wayne Rooney, Yurioka Scamboa, and Mario Falcone. So the thing that these all have in common is that they've all supported um, your, um, your uh, items brand. from your, uh, your, your brand. So I guess I wanted to ask, like, how, how, how did that come about? And, um, and, and how come you guys didn't continue to pursue it? I know it was something that you... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How it come about was um, love fashion, like most people now. Um, but just enjoyed wearing more outrageous stuff than, than most. Um, wanted to create a line that was kind of affordable. Um, went into it with my brother, who retired at the, I think it was that year or the year before. And then a, a good friend of mine, Jordan Stewart, who I knew him growing up with. And he's played um, as well, right? Yeah, he, he played, played, yeah, yeah, played yeah, yeah, yeah. Leicester, Watford, and got promoted Watford. Um, so kind of we created the line there. Um, and then it kind of developed there. And then the, the Kano one, Kano's a good friend. So that was kind of an easier ask. Um, the 50 Cent came through a, a friend of mine that works with 50. Um, and kind of the other ones were just kind of, obviously influenced the time and stuff like that. So they were kind of passed through that way. But in terms of why I didn't continue, it, is, it was difficult because at the time I was doing it, you, you I was asking people, because we only had a what, very, very limited knowledge and experience in the industry. Mm. So we had to employ people that we felt had our vision. But then when you're asking them to make decisions, when it's not their money, it's easy for them to make that decision. And the amount of money they were making decisions on, like, wasn't going to change anything. You know what I mean? So mm. if decision was to, to do something for the sake of, 
And again, no disrespect to TD Maxx, like a thousand pound profit, but the longer term outlook of it wasn't going to be sustainable. They would make that decision. I was like, well, that's not going to help us kind yeah. of thing. But it, come to, it helped me realize that if you're going into business, learn as much as you can before mm-hmm. you do it. So I do other things now and I've, I tend to, to learn the role of the employee I need to employ next. So if he's doing his job or they or she's doing her job right, at least I know. Yeah. yeah. I can say I've done that. So this is how it should be done. Mm-hmm. Because when I was doing that, it was like oh, letting them tell me how they should do their job, which I and I couldn't argue because I hadn't done it before. And it was a massive learning curve in terms of that. Yeah. The um and it just wasn't sustainable. Like mm-hmm. the business that the um the fashion game is is hard and I, there's way bigger people than me. Like I think Kanye's only just started making money. A lot of it, mm. but like the first few years for Kanye, and he, he went to design school. Like people know Kanye for music, but obviously he went to college to study art and design. You know what mm. I mean? So there's a former City player, Reese Wabara, with Man yeah, of the yeah, yeah. He's doing very, very yeah, well. Yeah, I'm actually yeah. wearing one of his tops now. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's from he's from the same area I grew up in, went yeah. to the same school and that. But yeah, he's he's one of the ones that kind of under, got to understand the business of it as well. Didn't just have a good eye for fashion because that's not enough. Like mm. you need to understand business, and he obviously does, and 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 took that to kind of to a new height because I think his career decisions, his career, his decision to stop playing was based on that. The success mm. of his of his line was fun. Well, I kind of don't need to play as as much as I'd like to play. You know what I mean? So. Nah, big up, man. Jolly, we could do this for another yourself, hour and a half, man. man. <laughs> We're yeah, very man. pressed for time. You know? Yeah, so I know you got the kids yeah, yeah, as well. Man. We so, love that, yeah. it's, been, up, it's been quality, man. Honestly, yeah. Jolly, and it's been it's, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure. We've we've literally covered everything. Man. We've <laughs> spoken about. Yeah. Every Did you enjoy it, Jolly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, cool, I, I cool. prefer these to be fair. because you just it's just more relaxed than it. Like when you're on air and that, it's good, but you know you've probably got forty seconds. Like, yeah, and yeah. someone's in your ear. We cover your Sky Sports career, though. We see oh, you no. in the studio. Keep it coming, man. Keep yeah, it coming. Yeah, I, try, Honestly. Bro, I try. appreciate it, man. Keep, yeah, keep well, doing what you're doing as well, man. I see you getting a lot of. A lot of press there, man. So keep love, that. Man. Love, love, love. Hundred percent, man. When, when we when we do it again, Jolie, and we we can do a bit more of a deep dive into into the, the work that you're doing with, with Sky and whatnot as well, man. Yeah, cool, man. No, no. Hundred percent, do that. We know that the listeners would would absolutely um uh enjoy this one. Uh, so thank you very much for all of you that have listened in up until this point or watched up until this point. Just a, a reminder before we sign out that. Um, you can view our episodes on our YouTube channel, The Beautiful Game Podcast. Um, all of our episodes are on uh, Spotify, on SoundCloud, and on Apple Podcasts as well. And if you are listening in on Apple Podcasts, please make sure you leave a five-star review. If you're not yet um, following us on Twitter, it's at podcast underscore TBG. And on Instagram, at pod underscore TBG. We've got more things coming for you guys, so continue to stay tuned. And until the next episode, over and out. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. 
Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.